King of Kings, good evening. How are you tonight? Good, I like it. We're ready to hear the Word of God. Joel chapter 3. Grab your Bibles, your devices. Joel chapter 3 is where we will be headed tonight. Uh, what a great time in worship. I just want to say a special thank you to Daniela. And uh, it's good to have you back home, Daniela. If you've been with us for several years, you know that we, uh, we sow our best at King of Kings, when we grow, when we expand, when we touch new cities and new communities, we give our best. And Matt and Daniela are certainly one of our best that we sowed into King of Kings Herzliya campus, and they are doing such a wonderful job. And I just wanted to mention her to say thank you, but I want to use it as a segue to tell you what some of the other worship team members are doing. We're blessed to have a very deep team, and of course, uh, we have some interchangeable parts because uh, our team is just so, so anointed by the Lord, but several of them have been out on ministry for us, representing King of Kings the last few weeks, traveling. Um, they oftentimes get asked to, to lead worship at certain conferences or special things, so they're returning tonight. So I know Pastor Ray and, and Gabi and Vadim and Brigitte, some of them are returning tonight here to Israel, uh, but there are a few others Roman and Alice and others who are uh, volunteering right now at the Polish uh, and Ukrainian border. So we bless them and we prayed for them before service and we just want to wish that uh, the Lord's angels are on them as they serve. And let me also say in this moment, thank you, King of Kings, for what you've done that we together get to help those that are in great need. We have helped so many families right now arriving uh, from Ukraine and now even from Russia. Some of them are coming from Russia also. And the Israeli government is trying to filter them into the country. They don't have uh, more than a suitcase with them. They don't have food. They don't have enough clothes. They certainly don't have hygiene products. That's been one of the biggest things they've asked for is can you help us with hygiene products? So we've pre prepared these bags and these boxes of, of, of soaps and deodorants and toothbrush and toothpaste for them. We've also been able to, to help with, through your gift, with medical supplies. We were in contact with the, uh, with the Ukrainian embassy and some of the ministries of interior work here, uh, here in Israel. And through your gifts, those of you in the house, those of you watching online, thank you so much. All of that's going on. Medical supplies, hygiene products, clothes, food, shoes, toys for the kids. That's all going to new immigrant families, Jewish, Ukrainian, and Russian families coming. We love them all. We're so happy they're all coming here to Israel. Let's keep doing that, okay? So if you haven't had a chance to give to that yet, you see the boxes on the wall or give online. Uh, all of that money is going straight to help the families that are arriving, and they're coming by the thousands, okay? This is the first wave, but it's the first wave of many waves on their way here to Israel. So we're excited. Thank you. Let me welcome everybody uh, also watching online tonight, Kings Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, all the other platforms. Welcome to Jerusalem and to King of Kings. We have two more weeks, guys, two more weeks in the books of, uh, book of Joel. It's been a good book. It's been a good series. Um, tonight, we're going to be in chapter three, right in the middle section. We will close out Joel next week. The week following that, we will focus on Pesach, on Passover. The season is upon us. And the week after that, we will focus on the first fruits, the resurrection of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. So that gives you a preview of the next four weeks, exciting times. Pastor Wayne did a great job last week. You know, he joked around and he said, of all of the verses Pastor Chad could have given me in the book of Joel, he gave me the passage, the hard passage on judgment. 
but by, by God's anointing, by his grace, with courage from Pastor Wayne, of course, he was able to dive into the full counsel of God. It's not enough just to talk about God's love and his mercy, but also the balance of his judgment, because that's who God is. That's the full gospel. One of the things that Pastor Wayne brought up last week was that judgment not only applies to individuals who disobey and promote, uh, promote evil, but also God brings judgment on nations that treat Israel with contempt. So when we read the book of Joel, it's not just individual judgment we're talking about. It's national judgment. Different nations who who have gone beyond what God asked them to do, gone beyond what God wanted them to do in terms of helping to judge Israel's disobedience. But they began to have contempt for Israel, contempt for God. In these passages, Israel is called my land, God says. It's not Israel's land so much as it is God's land. He says, Israel is my people. And they are my inheritance. You see, God has such a personal connection with the Jewish people. It's very personal to God. The apple of his eye. My land, my people, my inheritance. However, we concluded that section by saying this, that with repentance, God turns around a bad situation for those who are turning to him. Your situation may be headed to a rocky place, but with repentance, with turning... God will also turn around the situation. Is there anybody in the house tonight who would testify with an amen or a show of a hand that through repentance, God has turned your life around? Anybody with an amen tonight? Yes. If you're a believer in Yeshua, that's what happened to us. We were headed down the wrong road. But when we made a decision to turn, God graciously, patiently came behind us and he turned our very life situation around and we're grateful for that. Now, up until this point, friends, in this book of the prophecy of Joel, a choice has been given to both Israel and to the nations. What is that choice? Well, the choice that's been given so far is this. You can repent willfully through humility, or you can repent through pressure and desperation. Either way, you will repent. You say, well, that doesn't sound like much of a choice. No, it is a choice. It's just like every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Yeshua is Lord. Every single tongue in all human history will confess Yeshua is Lord. It's just a matter of when do you decide to do that? Do you decide to do it before the Lord returns and establishes his kingdom in its fullness? Or will you watch his kingdom be established, sent to judgment, and then acknowledge, oh yeah, yeah, by the way, you are Lord. It's a matter of when, not a matter of if. And so is repentance. Here with Israel, here with the nations. It's not a matter of when, it's a matter of how. It's not a matter of if, you, you will repent. But it will be done through humility, willfully, or through pressure and desperation. Either way, you're gonna call out to the Lord. And that's really Joel's words to the nations. He's like, nations, listen. We, Israel, are not perfect. And we, Israel, will have to repent. But you, nations, you will also need to repent. And if you will, God will turn your situation around. But if you don't, it's not going to go well for you. Because eventually, your knee will bow. I'm just asking you, I'm inviting you to bow your knee now through humility, not through desperation. 
in this moment of warning of the nations about the coming judgment. The judgment is often related to how the nations have treated Israel. And so God now issues the great challenge. It's no longer only a warning. It's no longer only an invitation. He says, fine, if you won't listen to me, then I issue a challenge to you. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. What challenge did God issue? Well, tonight we're going to look at three different passages. We're going to compare them as described in Joel, in Zechariah, and in Revelation, because these passages describe a similar war. They describe its timing, the coming of the day of the Lord, and locations. All of them hit on these same principles, so I want to compare them tonight when God issues a challenge. So here we go in our main text, our first section. If you have Joel chapter 3, let's look at verse 9. Joel 3, 9. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hawks into spears. Let the weaklings say, I am strong. Come quickly. All you nations from every side and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, Lord. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance in the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the winepress is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. That passage starts off with the word proclaim. What is it that we're proclaiming? We're proclaiming the challenge that God issues to the nations of the world. He is calling the warriors, the armies, the fighting men out to a place that is being described as the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And we're going to dive into that a little bit tonight and exactly what that means. But it is through this war and this challenge that God's judgment will be made known. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have several examples in scripture where the Lord issues a challenge and he says, listen, you're not obeying me. You're not following me. You're not understanding what I'm trying to do. So if you're, if you're going to be stubborn, why don't you gather, gather all of the people who are being stubborn to this one place. And then he gathers them there. And it's the judgment that happens in that one place with everybody gathered that lets them know the will of God. That judgment is happening on the people. You remember when Moses was leading ancient Israel and there was a group that was having a, a sense of pride and rebellion that they could lead better than Moses. They were led by a man named Korah. And finally, after trying to sow some division in Israel, the Lord commanded Korah and his family and all of his followers, several hundred followers of Korah. He said, why don't you come over here? Why don't you gather? Come right here. And he got them all into one place. And then Moses, you know, took that big step backwards from them. Like, I don't know what God's about to do, but this doesn't sound good. You guys gather over there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be back here. And then when they would not repent for what they had done, God just had the earth open up. 
I'm not sure that's what an earthquake sounds like, but that's the sound I gave it. It opened up, swallowed all of these hundreds of rebellious people in, closed in over them, and God said, that's what happens if you don't repent. That's what happens when I gather you in the valley of decision. It is through the gathering and through the judgment, my will will be made known. And he's putting this challenge out to the nations. It is through the war that the judgment will be made known. The nations that are against God and against Israel, they will lose. The devastation, the loss that they feel during this war is the judgment upon them in a national level. You see, we're not talking necessarily about individual judgment. That comes after the return of the Lord. That, that comes at the great judgment seat of God, the great white throne judgment. That's the individual judgment. That's not what we're talking about. Right here, we're talking about a national judgment. The nations themselves would not repent. They would not stop treating Israel with contempt. And the timing of this judgment and the call to war is because of a reason because there was growth of wickedness in the world. You see, wickedness will only grow to a certain point before God steps in and he, and he stops the wickedness. I'm gonna move this just so I can see my friends over here. Is that okay, guys? He doesn't let wickedness grow forever. At some point, God intervenes. And how do we know that this challenge and this war is about wickedness? Well, it's right there in the passage. It uses phrases like this. The harvest is ripe. The wine press is full. The vats are overflowing. So great is their wickedness. That was in the passage we read. So we know that what's happening is, is the, the wine press of the world is being filled with wickedness. And when it overflows, God says, enough. Now we, we're gonna intervene, we're gonna do something. And this is very similar. This is a pattern in scripture. This is not the only time we hear of this. Do you remember in the story of Noah and his flood? If you wanna make a, a note in Genesis chapter six, verse five through seven, it says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created and with them the animals, the birds and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. So this is not the first time we've seen wickedness rise to such a level that God says, I'm stopping it now, it's enough. Sodom and Gomorrah is another example. Once the wickedness had risen so much and no one's heart was turning, no one was changing anymore, God can look into the future and he can say, no one else is coming. I'm gonna shut the door of the ark. No, one, no one's coming. I'm gonna destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. No one's coming. I'm gonna call the nations out because no one else is coming. And wickedness has risen. Our first key phrase tonight God does not allow wickedness to continue forever. He has a measure to which the height of wickedness in the world will trigger judgment. There's a certain level where it triggers, and only God knows that, that moment, that place, and only God knows when people are no longer coming, 
when the great harvest of the end of the age is over and no one else is coming, he knows and he shuts the door just like he did on the ark. Remember how long it took them to build the ark, how long the door stayed open, how many invitations went out. But God finally realized that everyone that was coming was here. And then he has to make a decision about that wickedness. So the challenge has been issued to the nations because of their disobedience and because of the way they've treated Israel specifically. He's challenged the nations, the armies, the warriors to all assemble in this place that is called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, those of you in the room that know Hebrew or study Hebrew, you know that Jehoshaphat, it means the Lord is judge. Later in that same verse, it's called the Valley of Decision. And of course, if you're relating the two, it's not too hard to understand that the Lord is judge and the Lord makes the decision. Right, the, the valley of judgment, the valley of decision, it's the same valley. It's not two different valleys in that verse. It's just two different descriptions of the same thing. And if you were to look up even the Hebrew roots of, of, of this word of judgment and judge or shofet or shoftim, even from the book of Judges, it's the same word, same root. It means to make a decision. Why? Because a judge makes a decision. He hears the case and then he makes a decision or he gives his judgment. And that's what God is challenging the nations of the world to come, fight, and I will make my decision in the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of judgment. We're reminded back in verse two of this same chapter, Joel chapter three, verse two. He says, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. It's not a, a difficult thing to discern what's happening. It's because of the way you've treated Israel. I'm gonna gather you and I'm gonna judge. Now we hope this word goes out to all of the nations. We wanna bless those nations right now that bless Israel because they're gonna to continue to be blessed. We wanna bless the individuals around the world who have continued to bless Israel. Those that have sown into the work of God here in the land, those that sow into the King of Kings network of ministries, we thank you. You're gonna be blessed because of that, not because I said it, not because it's a self-elevating uh, word. It's because God said it. And I'm just repeating what he said and I'm holding God at his word. But the reverse is also true. I will bless those that bless you, but I will curse those that curse you. This goes way back to Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant. I will put the people on trial for what they've done to my inheritance, to my people. Now, this sounds very familiar, friends. Those of you that maybe you've been in the Lord a long time and you've worked your way through all of the scriptures, this passage of Joel starts to sound familiar about this last day battle or the battle in the day of the Lord's return or the judgment that will come to the nations or the gathering of all the warriors. That sounds very familiar to you and it should because it shows up in the book of Revelation also. Maybe if you're new in the Lord and you haven't made it that far, just stick with me a little bit. I'm gonna to explain to you the future, at least the future that the Bible tells us is coming. And what sounds so familiar about this gather the nations battle at the end of the age. If you want to make a note, Revelation chapter 16 for a moment. 
What happens in Revelation chapter 16 is that God starts to pour out what he calls the bowls of wrath. The bowls of wrath. So like a bowl, like you eat out of a bowl, a bowl full of wrath. Why is it full of wrath? Because wickedness has now over, overflowed everything and he's intervening. But in Revelation chapter 16, there's a description of seven bowls that are somehow supernaturally and prophetically poured out. Bowl number one. He pours out bowl number one in sores on people's bodies start to show up. But not on everybody's body, only on the body of people who took the mark of the beast. I get asked a lot of times, Pastor Chad, going through corona and the vaccines and, and, the, and, and, the, and the credit card chips that are coming and, and the bitcoins and cyber currency and how am I going to know? Am I going to be tricked into taking the mark of the beast? Friends, I have good news for you tonight. You will not be tricked. It will be very clear the decision you're making. And everyone who receives the mark of the beast on the hand and on the forehead, whatever that mark is, whatever it looks like, whatever it does, when the first bowl is poured out with wrath, that person will have sores all over their body. That's what Revelation 16 says. The bowl, number two, the second bowl, it says the sea turns into blood and all living things in the water die. Well, that sounds a lot like Passover, doesn't it? Not like the Red Sea, huh? You see, God does things in, in patterns. Bowl number three, now the rivers and the springs become blood and everything dies. Bowl number four, the sun and the moon scorch people with fire and with heat. People begin to curse God because of how hot they are and because of all the sores on their bodies. And instead of becoming humble, they curse God even more. Bowl number five is poured out. The kingdom of the beast is thrown into darkness. The people who follow the beast are in agony, it says. They continue to curse God because of their sores and the heat, but they refuse to repent. The ones that followed the beast are now starting to realize that they're on the losing side of this war. Bowl number six is poured out. The Euphrates River dries up, but it's on purpose because it makes a way for the kings of the east and then three impure spirits come out of the mouth of this thing called the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Each one has a, has, a, has a beast come out of it, this impure spirit. The Bible actually tells us what it looks like in Revelation 16, 14 to 16, if, you, if you're interested. It says, these three impure spirits, they are demonic spirits that perform signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gather the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Isn't that interesting? Joel talked about all the nations gathering here in Israel for the last battle. Revelation talks about all the nations gathering here in Israel for the last battle. One talked about their gathering in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, the Valley of Judgment or Decision, and one says they're gathering in Armageddon. I'm going to give you a little bit more on that in a moment. But who was gathering 
the nations and the armies and the warriors. It was the three impure spirits, one from the dragon, one from the beast, one from the false prophet, went out like advertising. It went out like marketing. It went out all over media and social media, and they gathered the nations, come fight. Come fight. And so they show up here in Israel. And then finally, the seventh bowl in Revelation 16 is poured out. And it says, there's a great earthquake that splits the great city. The nations fall apart. The islands begin to disappear. Large hailstones fall from the sky and kill many people. So if you're wondering, you know, sometimes you, you hear fear in people. Pastor, when will I know? Will it be obvious? Yes, there's your sign. When great earthquakes happen and islands start to disappear, there's your sign. Pay attention. But you know, there's a lot of signs along the way. God doesn't just give a road with one sign. There's signs all along the way because God is actually inviting people to understand. He doesn't want you to be confused about the times that we live in. And for those that don't turn to the Lord with repentance, it's the very signs that God is going to point to and say, you are guilty. And they're going to say, we didn't know. And he's going to say, you did know, because look at all the signs I gave you. And I told you they were coming. When Israel becomes a nation again, pay attention. When Jerusalem is in the hands of the Jews again, fully, pay attention. When the body of Messiah is growing up strong, pay attention. When there's a great harvest of the last day, pay attention. When I pour my spirit out upon all flesh, pay attention. When the armies of the world gather to fight against Israel, pay attention. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be great earthquakes. The world will be thrown into chaos and islands will begin to disappear. Can you imagine the days ahead of us? And here they are, they're gathered in the great day of the Lord. What's interesting about the two locations for a moment, and I just want to make sure you understand it, you're walking with me, the two locations, if we go with a strictly literal reading of it, according to today's maps, we find that the Valley of Jehoshaphat and Armageddon look like they're in two different places. Because in Hebrew, Armageddon is related to what we say, Har Megiddo, the hill or the mountain of Megiddo. Do we have that map? Look at this. So what you can find with me is this. Megiddo is more toward the north, but the Valley of Jehoshaphat is down south near us here near Jerusalem. But both of them have been predicted for the very same war in the same time period. And you might say, well, how do, we, how do we know which is which? How do we rectify this? Well, I want to bring in Zechariah to help us a little bit. Because we talked about Joel, we talked about Revelation, but I told you there was a third passage and it's Zechariah. And I want to bring Zechariah on this because he also speaks of the day of the Lord and the great battle. Zechariah chapter 14 the first four verses. A day of the Lord is coming, Jerusalem, when your possessions will be plundered and divided up within your very walls. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. So that became very specific right there. That wasn't as 
Confusing, right, as some of the other ones. I'm going to gather all the nations to fight in Jerusalem. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on the day of battle. And on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. Again, the great day of the Lord, the nations are gathered in Israel to fight. There's an earthquake again. This time it's described as in Jerusalem. So if by today's standards, the Valley of Jehoshaphat, the Valley of Decision, is in fact in the south, as our map pointed out, it's near Jerusalem, then that connects with Zechariah because it said Jerusalem. And yet, if the last battle really is in Harmageddon, which is more in the north, then how do we rectify the two? So we did a lot of study just to find out what the options were. And there are lots of things you can read here. I don't want to be too dogmatic about how it happens because so much of it lines up already, right? The nations show contempt for Israel. God gives them a warning. They don't repent, so he calls them together for battle. They gather in Israel to fight against the Lord. The Lord fights for us in this great day of the Lord. All of that matches. There's a great earthquake. All of it matches. So I don't want to be so dogmatic to miss all of the matching parts. But one commentary said this. The staging ground for the Battle of Armageddon, when all the nations line up and attack Israel in the end, might be located in the Valley of Jezreel. So that's the northern valley. That's the Harmageddon up there. Down south would be the Kidron Valley. Okay? And he says, the Valley of Jezreel. But the target and the focus of this war is always going to be Jerusalem, the city of the great king. If this battle is to take place mainly in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, which begins in and around Jerusalem and descends to the Dead Sea Valley, and if this valley will turn into a river of blood whose length is 160 miles or 257 kilometers, then it will reach as far as Bozrah, which lies toward the southern end of the Dead Sea. This is remarkable about the length that is recorded, considering that Isaiah chapter 63 describes the Lord who in his wrath has tread these nations under his foot in judgment. And as it says in quote, the one coming from Bozrah, his garments will be stained with blood. What does that mean? I know that was fancy. What it means is even if the battle starts in the north, in Har Megiddo, it's really always about Jerusalem. It may start someplace and may end up in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, Jerusalem. It says that when the earthquake happens, it's, it's, the, it's the valley near Jerusalem that will split. The Mount of Olives splits in half. That's where his feet will land. So all of that matches up. But there's a river of blood because unfortunately the judgment will take so many lives in the battle that the river of blood, as the Bible describes, will have a distance And it will have a distance all the way to Bozrah. And Isaiah 63 says, from Bozrah, the Lord is coming. And his garments are stained with blood. Because 
The judgment has reached all the way down in terms of lives that are lost. You see, the Bible is so good. God is so good to us. He puts so many puzzle pieces together. He puts so many signs on the road. And if you're new in the Lord and a lot of that sounded confusing, that's okay. Just keep reading it. Because if you ask the Holy Spirit for help, he'll help you. What it really means, guys, is it doesn't matter if you're looking at Joel, if you're looking at Zechariah, if you're looking at Isaiah, or you're looking at John and Revelation. All of them are getting the same vision. Guys that lived hundreds of years apart, people who never met one another, and they're having the same vision under the same inspiration of the same Holy Spirit. Doesn't that give you confidence tonight? That God knows exactly what he's doing, and he knows exactly what's ahead of us. So some people conclude that the battle starts in the north and it ends up in the south. Other people conclude that the valley of Jehoshaphat is really just symbolic because it's judgment. It's a decision. So that's a symbolic valley, whereas Harmageddon in the north would be the more realistic location. Go whatever way you want. I give you freedom in the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because one day we'll find out for sure. You know how? Because we'll be standing right in front of us and we'll know. People often ask me, they say, Pastor Chad, why don't you do a class? Why don't you do a class on eschatology of the end times? A lot of people are interested in that. And I get it. It's very interesting stuff. But the only problem we run into with too much eschatology, well, actually, there's two problems. The first problem is most of us are still working on the basics of life obedience right now. We're struggling right now in our marriage, in our job, in our finances, in our character, in our discipleship. I don't want to distract you with signs and symbols and colors and horns and beasts. And, uh, I don't have answers to all that anyway. And the second problem with going too far into eschatological guessing is that you realize to this point in history, every human being that's ever tried to predict the date of the Lord's return has been wrong. Everyone. So why, why would we want to venture into that territory? I'll tell you what, you know who's not wrong? Those of us that will stand here and watch it. I'll tell you exactly which valley it's happening in when it's happening. I'll tell you exactly the day of the Lord's return on the day of the Lord's return. I'll tell you exactly who the beast is, the dragon is, the false prophet is, who the anti-Messiah, anti-Christ figure is. I'll tell you exactly who they are as soon as we see them. Because I don't think it's the Lord's will that we're confused. So I just want us to, King of Kings, be confident. When has the Lord tried to confuse you? Is the mark of the beast going to like trick you? No. Confidence. Is the beast going to trick you? Is the dragon going to trick you? Like, oh man, I thought he was such a great guy and he turned out to be the dragon. I don't think the Lord's trying to trick anybody. He's giving us all the signs, all the, all the roadmap right here. I think it's going to be very clear. Have confidence in the Lord. You're his army. What's going to happen is you're not going to be running around confused. Oh, what, what do I do? What do I do? He's going to say, come here. I've enlisted you in my army. Let me tell you where I'm going to station you and what your job is. You see, it's the enemy that wants to sow 
fear in you. It's the enemy that wants to sow confusion and insecurity in you. Don't be insecure. Okay, fine, you don't know what all the colors mean and, and the horns and there's 10 of them and then three of them go away and two more pop up. I, I get it, I've read it. But you know what? You don't have to learn all of that because the Lord will show you what it means. You don't have to memorize it or guess on it. Tonight, I want to bring you confidence that in this last battle, you will know exactly where to be, you will know exactly what to do, and you'll know exactly when to be there. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You don't have to worry. I've taught you oftentimes the, the enemy only has one weapon, right? Don't forget this. Please remember this. For the rest of your life, he has one weapon. It's called a lie. It's the only weapon he has. He can't create he cannot make something out of nothing. All he can do is take God's creation and pervert it, and he can try to trick you with it by a lie. It's the only tool he's ever had. It's the only weapon he's ever had. And as long as you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, which is called the spirit of truth, you will not have to worry about the enemy lying to you and tricking you. Yes, we, we keep our eyes open for false prophets and false doctrine. We certainly do. But that happens much more in the safety of community. Community keeps us safe from the false doctrines and the, safe, the false prophets. The Lord brings you confidence tonight. Don't be fearful about what's coming. And ultimately, no matter where you think it happens, when you think it happens, how the armies gather together, whichever way you decide is the way you believe. Either way, our job, friends, tonight is to be prepared Prepare ourselves to do the work of the kingdom. The Bible said, make sure you stay alert, you stay awake, you have your clothes on, have your armor on, have your sword ready, have your oil in your lamp. How many more stories do we need when the lesson is really stay prepared? I ever tell you that, that story I was... Real quick, I gotta throw this story in here and then I'll, I'll bring it to a close. I was, I was on the university campus one time and uh, between my classes, I would, I would grab my Bible and I would study the word between classes. And over time, there's enough people that pass by you that they just kind of learn that that's where you're gonna be every morning at 10 o'clock between classes, you're gonna be there studying your Bible. So I had this, this one person uh, come, come by and they said, hey, why don't you come out with us this weekend? I said, well, all right, tell me what you mean by go out. So they described what it meant to go out in their definition, and, and I didn't want any part of that. The things they were doing, it's not for believers. So I was like, you know, thank you for the invitation. I'm going to pass. Thank you. So week by week would come, and I'd still be sitting there every morning reading, reading my scriptures, and they kept coming, invitation after invitation. Why don't you come out with it? Why don't you come out with it? And they finally said to me, you're here reading every day. Don't you ever take a break? And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, why don't you ever go out and have fun and just kind of take a break from all this God stuff? And I said, God doesn't take a break. The kingdom never takes a break. Guess who else never takes a break? Satan. Satan never takes a break. He is so annoying. 
He never takes a break. The kingdom doesn't get days off. That's not how spiritual warfare works. That's why the Bible says be ready, sword in hand, armor on, helmet on, breastplate on, belt on, clothed in righteousness, oil in your lamp. Be ready so that you will know these days because if you're in the word and you're in community and you're in small group and you're in fellowship and you're in prayer and you're reading your scriptures every day, your mind and your spirit will be sharp. You will see it all right in front of you. But yes, the ones that are not in tune with the Lord, not in tune with the word, not in tune with the spirit, you can see how they would get confused. Confidence is the word of the Lord today. Now let me close with this last thought. Joel, Zechariah, Revelation are all describing the nations gathering for war against Israel and against God's people at the end of the age and at the coming of the day of the Lord. What makes the timing so important? How come the time is so important? What about this point in history became the point in history? Well, our our title of our sermon today is When Everything Lines Up. That's the title of today's sermon if you want to go back and listen to it on the archive on the website. When Everything Lines Up. Important things finally all line up for the very first time in human history. That's another sign that it's ready. First of all, we have the rise of wickedness. And you say, well, Pastor Chad, we've had a rise of wickedness many times. I agree, we have. But it's only one of the pieces of the puzzle. So we have the rise of wickedness. But we also have to have the first coming of Messiah. Oh, now we've had it. You see, we had a rise of wickedness with Noah, but not the coming of Messiah yet. We had the rise of wickedness with Babel, but not Messiah yet. We had the rise of wickedness with Sodom and Gomorrah, but not the Messiah yet. But now we have the rise of wickedness and the Messiah has come. Watch out. Then we have to have the establishment of the nation of Israel. Ah, we didn't have that until 73 years ago. So now we have the rise of wickedness, the coming of Messiah, and the establishment of Israel. You see how it starts to narrow narrow our days down a little bit. You say, well, listen, what are the other parts of this? These have all happened before, but they've never all happened at the same time. Wickedness has been rampant before, but at those times, Israel was not yet established as a nation, and the Messiah had not yet come. And after the earthly ministry of Yeshua, we saw wickedness rise, but the body of Messiah had not been established yet. But now, today, We have all of these components all at one time. For the first time in history, we have the rise of wickedness, the establishment of Israel. The Messiah has come in his first servant form. And we have the establishment of the global body of Messiah, the the global church. Finally, we have all of them intersecting at the same time. That's how we know the time is short. The signs are all there. The roadmap has been laid out. And God is about to extend a challenge to all the nations. He's about to extend this challenge. Let's close with this key phrase. When everything lines up, that means uncontrollable wickedness, a denial of the truth, the earthly ministry of Yeshua, the establishment of the body of Messiah or the global church, and the existence of an independent nation of Israel, the end of the age is near. Pay attention to Jerusalem. Pay attention to the earthquakes. Pay attention to the temple. It's all going to happen here. And we get to be part of what God is doing. Now, there are certainly many other signs we could talk about. 
to confirm this. There's going to be the anti-Messiah, the anti-Christ, the world wars, natural disasters, the rebuilding of the temple. But what do I want you to take away today? What's the lesson? The lesson is the days are short. That Joel agrees with Zechariah, who agrees with Isaiah, who agrees with John. And they all lay out the same battle in the same country at the same time with the same attributes. People who have never met one another all got the same word of the Lord. That means the Lord is clear in his message. He's very clear. He's not wanting you to be confused. And since all of this is beginning to line up now in our day, we can discern the end of the age is near. What does it mean? It means, Israel, it's our time to shine. We've been a nation of unbelievers a long time. But Romans says that at the end of the age, when Israel comes back to the Messiah, it's going to mean life from the dead for the rest of the world. It's the great harvest of the end of the age, and it starts right here in Jerusalem. Why would it start anywhere else? Everything, all these great revelations of God always start here in Israel first. It always comes. Remember, we talked about that a month ago. The major revelations of God always go from heaven to Israel and from Israel to the world. Test me in that. Go back to the Bible. You know, where do the Ten Commandments go? Israel first, then to the world. Covenants, well, to the Jewish people, then to the world. The coming of Messiah, Israel, then to the world. Holy Spirit, Israel to the world. The Bible, Israel to the world. Revelation, Israel to the world. And the last great harvest of the age will be the same pattern. It will come to Israel first, then to the world, is what Romans says. So we are in a great place. It is our time to shine, and the days are drawing close. Can you stand with me as I pray over you tonight? In just a few moments, we're going to go back into worship to let this soak into your spirit. And our prayer team is going to present themselves here at the front. Anybody that needs prayer for any reason, please feel free to come and be with our prayer team. Father, in the name of Yeshua, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these days. We thank you for the signs that have become so clear that we do not have to worry. Father, we just shake off of ourselves any worry, any fear, and any insecurity now in the name of Yeshua. You have never been a God who wanted to be confusing. You have always been the God that brings a clear, simple word that we can digest. And we receive it today. And what's great for us that our ancestors didn't have is we have God living inside of us that we can discern the times and the seasons. Thank you, Lord. We commit ourselves to your army. We commit ourselves to have oil ready in the lamps, to be prepared every day. The kingdom does not take a day off, and neither will we. We'll take a Sabbath rest for our physical bodies, but our spirits don't take days off. God, here we are. Bless your people at King of Kings. Bless your people all over Israel. It is the time that you shine through us. Help us prepare. Oh God, pour your spirit out, as Joel said. We need it. 
For the days ahead, we have to have this spirit, and that's why you did it in this order. I will pour out my spirit upon you in those days. You will be my witnesses because the end of the age is coming and a great battle is right in front of you, and you're going to need my spirit. Thank you, Lord, that we receive you today in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.